Our sixth reading for this morning is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Yes, amen. Now, this passage that I just read from Philippians 2, it's been our Advent and Christmas focus this year as a church. And the reason why I thought this passage would be especially appropriate for this season is because right here at the heart of this passage is the very center and heart and essence of Christmas. It's right there in verses 5 through 7. You look at it again with me. It says, Jesus Christ, the one who existed as God, who is equal with God, took on our humanity, and he came as a man. This is what is known in theological terms as the incarnation. The baby in the manger is God. That's what the Bible teaches as we sang, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. What can happen at Christmas time with all the good, maybe, depending on your opinion, sappy, maybe, depending on your opinion, Christmas movies, Hallmark movies, all the classic Christmas movies that you might enjoy, and all the sentimental songs that I love, like Dreaming of a White Christmas and Chestnuts Roasting Over an Open Fire, all that stuff. I love it. It's very cozy. It's very sentimental. It's very comfortable. Now, what can happen during this time of year is we can put the baby Jesus in a manger And we can plug the baby Jesus in a manger into all those very sappy, kind of comfortable, cozy, warm-feeling stories. He's a cute and cuddly, we think of him, and and chubby little baby that we want to squeeze. And so it makes sense to us, right? It fits, the baby in the manger. It's that Christmas spirit, or we talk about maybe a Christmas attitude, a general sense of niceness and coziness. What this passage does so clearly and so concisely is it puts Jesus, the baby in a manger, into the context of Jesus' whole story. If this is the story of the baby in the manger, this right here, verses 6 through 11, if this is true, when we come to know that this is true and live like it's true, There's a whole nother attitude that our lives take on. 
It's, it's much more substantial and robust and serious and meaningful and deep than a very sentimental, cozy, warm, cuddly kind of attitude. It gives us an entire different mindset about all of life. And this morning, I'd like to show you from this passage how Christmas gives us a whole new attitude toward hope. Hope. That's a very Christmassy word. We see it on Christmas cards, and we see it maybe displayed in shopping centers and all that kind of thing during this season. There's a lot of hope for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day when we get to open our presents. Hopefully you've opened them, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're waiting, but there's a lot of hope. I hope I get what I want. I hope that the presents are good this year. The word hope in the Bible is much stronger than that. That's kind of a wishful thinking. I hope uh, the weather will be good here on our Christmas Eve or in Christmas Day. I think we just turned the AC on. I don't know. I think that's what's blowing. I couldn't tell if it was the heat or AC Whereas my mom is living in six-degree weather, you know, you might have family where they're living in the teens right now on Christmas Day. But it's more than that according to the scriptures. I hope the weather's good. I hope it's going to be a good day or a good Christmas. Hope, and here's a definition on the slides, in the Bible means a confident expectation for the future. My favorite way to define hope is like this, the confident expectation that what will be will be better than what is, or even than what was. That's hope. It's confident. It's expectation. It is saying this is what will be in the future, and that's how I am living. And so this morning, I'd like for you to consider what is your attitude toward hope on this Christmas day here at the end of 2022. And I don't want to be a downer on such a great day, a Christmas day. But my sense is that it's a pretty hard time for a lot of us to hope right now. The general atmosphere around us. Would you describe it as a hopeful atmosphere? Or is it a really hard time for us to look out ahead and think with confidence that what will be in 2023, 24, 25, and beyond will be better than what is or what was? Many of us are asking, what is my reason to hope? What, what reason is there? We're still dealing with a lot of cultural tension, at least in our country, in our culture. Whatever side of the maybe political spectrum you might be on, I'm not hearing a lot of hope, maybe more fear or anxiety. What if the other side gets the power? What if the other side wins? And that seems to be what's driving a lot of anxiety and fear. The stock market, I don't know, I don't keep track of it every day, but I don't know if it's that hopeful these days with inflation and the economy. There seems to be, to me, a general fear and anxiety about what will be more than an attitude of hope. And on a personal level, maybe this morning, you're asking that question about hope. Maybe you're going through something hard, you've experienced a loss. You have an ongoing difficult situation and you're not sure whether it's safe to hope. It feels risky to hope. Sometimes we feel like it's easier not to hope because if we do hope that what will be is better than what is, what if it doesn't turn out that way? It's much harder then to deal with that. And so my sense is there's a lot of guardedness, maybe a bit of cynicism, fear, and anxiety that we're living in. So why hope? 
Why should we live with an attitude of hope here at the end of the year and moving ahead into the future? I'd like to share a little quick picture with you, inspired by what's there in our entryway. Uh, if you came in the entryway, you notice there's a thermometer meter that has to do with our Ukraine uh, resettlement team and raising funds to bring a family here to the United States. And, and my understanding is that the meter has gone all the way to the top and beyond. I just heard that last night from David Ta. So praise God for that. That's awesome. Yes. I was thinking of that meter and I thought, well, um, it, it gives us a, a good picture for us to think about this text and this message about hope. This morning, where would you say your hope meter is? Is it pushing through the top? Is it ebbing low? Are you wondering, do you have reason for your hope to rise up with confidence? This morning, because of Christmas, I would like to share with you that we do have reason to have an attitude of hope no matter what is happening in our lives and around us. That's what this text offers us this morning. Before I get straight to the text, I want to set the context here. I want to do it um, by thinking about this letter, the letter of Philippians, kind of as a Christmas card. I, I like Christmas cards. We got many of yours. Uh, don't, th don't show the picture yet. We'll show that in just a second. Um, I love receiving all the updates. I like writing our family updates and sharing that with people. You get the pictures and all that, and it's awesome. Often you'll get highlights of everybody's lives, and you'll get vacation pictures and all that kind of good stuff when you receive Christmas cards, right? Um, and if you were to imagine with me for a moment, this letter of Philippians in which this text that we're considering was written, if it was a Christmas card, if Paul was giving an update on his life, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, this is what his card would have said, something like this. Merry Christmas, everyone in Philippi. And we can put the picture up. Maybe there's the front. There's, there's, there's Paul. That's a, a Vincent Van Gogh. I'm in jail. So I'm eating jail food this Christmas. You know, no tamales or turkey. I'm locked up in a prison cell. I'm sleeping on a hard, cold floor. What I had planned on doing was planning a church. I planned on doing ministry. I planned on visiting people whom I love very much, but I can't. I'm here locked up. Also, there's a good chance I might be killed. It's kind of 50-50. While in prison, there's these other preachers out there. I thought they were my friends and allies, but they're actually speaking ill of me while I'm in prison. And I'm not sure what's going on with that, but that hurts. Oh, I did enjoy a visit from our friend Epaphroditus, but he got sick and he almost died. Merry Christmas. You know, we, we want to laugh because what else can we do? That doesn't sound like a, a great Christmas card. It doesn't sound very hopeful. How could Paul send a card like this with hope on the front? And everything I just said is taken directly from this letter, yet all Bible scholars, and some of you have studied this letter, you would agree, this letter, Philippians, is the most joyful and hopeful letter in the New Testament. How is that possible? Well, there's two reasons right here in the text. I'm going to give them to you here. This is the outline. Two reasons. We can go to the next one. We can have a hopeful attitude no matter what. Reason number one, Jesus is Lord. Number two, 
Jesus is Lord. First, Jesus is Lord. I believe we have a slide for this point. This is the point I want to make here. And it's this, the stability, the certainty, the power of our hope, our hope meter is directly tied to who or what we treat as Lord in our lives. Who or what we believe is Lord. If we define Lord as what? Who is the strongest and greatest person out there? What is the strongest and greatest force at work in my life or in the world? That's the Lord of the world, right? So the Lord of our hearts is whatever has the strongest and most influential force in our hearts. Let me just share how this might work. If our hope meter lowers every time our financial situation gets tight or uncertain, then our finances are being treated as Lord. If our hope meter lowers every time the opposing political party wins the election or gets the power, then politics are being treated as our Lord. If our hope meter goes up or down based on our own success or accomplishment, we could say we or our success are our Lord. If our hope meter rises or falls based on our kids' accomplishments or successes, our kids' success and accomplishments are our Lord. If our hope meter rises or, fa- or falls based on our cultural climate or even maybe, I, I, I want to be careful here, but even just our feelings and emotions, which are important and an important part of hope, then those things we are treating as the strongest and most influential force in our lives, our Lord, our hope is tied to them. So this means when our hope meter is down and draining and we are losing hope and we feel that that's happening, we should ask, who or what am I bowing the knee to as Lord? Look at verse 9 with me. We read this. God highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name. Highly exalted. Just look at that word. The Apostle Paul, it seems like he made up this word just for this. He kind of combined these two words together. The word exalted means the highest one. And he said, the highly exalted one, which means higher than the highest one. He is higher than the highest. Verse 10. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I.e., there are no exceptions to this. There is nothing outside of the highest, highest one being Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing in nowhere that he is not Lord and will one day be acknowledged as Lord. There are no competitors to Jesus. And verse 11 says, every tongue will one day confess and acknowledge this, that Jesus Christ is is Lord. This is, according to the Bible, the guaranteed end of the story. The story that began in the manger ends like this. Every single being in the universe will admit and acknowledge he is the strongest and most influential force in the universe. So there is no force, there's no thing, there's no circumstance or struggle that is greater are more influential or more powerful than him. One of my sons is really into arm wrestling right now. And I, I gather that they're doing a lot of these arm wrestling competitions in his school. And he's just 
you know, putting his hand down at the table and like, who wants to take me, right? And he's doing that with our family as well. We won't talk about the results, but he's, he's getting really good at this. The picture here, this baby in the manger, it's saying he's put his arm down on the table, Jesus, and there is no one who is his match. He is the Lord. Secondly, that's not enough though. That's not enough for our hope meter to rise. We have to have this second point, which is Jesus is Lord. What I mean is to know that there's a highly exalted Lord, there's someone in charge that has a plan who's over and above everything, every other thing in the universe. It's not up to chance. It's not up to our circumstances. It's not up to whatever force or thing or person seems to be controlling our lives with the strongest force in the moment. There is a Lord greater than all those things. That can be comforting and give us great hope. But it all depends on what kind of Lord is he? Right? And Christmas shows us what kind of Lord he is. That is the reason for our hope. Not just that Jesus Christ is Lord, but that Jesus is Lord. Because of the kind of Lord he is. And that's what this passage tells us in the story of Jesus. He's not only a Lord with a divine name, the Lord. That is God's name alone according to the Old Testament. And here it says, no, that is Jesus' name too. But he is a Lord with a human name. Jesus. Like the story tells us, Mary was told, call his name Jesus. He's a human being. He never has stopped being human once he became the baby in the manger. This means he is not a Lord who is distant from us, from our fears and from our anxieties. He chose to experience all these things with us in a world where we struggle to have hope and he knows what that is like. As we sang, he knows our need to our weakness. He's no stranger. Behold, this is your king. Before him, lowly bend, the one who knows our need. He's not a Lord who uses his own power to his own advantage, but he used his power, his position, his privilege to our advantage. He is a Lord who didn't put himself first, but he puts us first. He is a Lord who empties himself to fill us. What kind of Lord does that? He is not a Lord who demands what is rightfully his, but a Lord who emptied himself of his rights to become a servant for us, considering our needs as his own. A Lord who took what we deserve, death on a cross, to give us what he deserves. A Lord who humbled himself to lift us up. He is not a Lord who avoided or ran from suffering, but a Lord who chose to suffer even to the point of death, a Lord who died so that we might live one day free of sin and suffering. Now let me ask you this question here on Christmas morning. This is what the Bible says is true about Jesus Christ, his full story. And let me ask you this question. Is there anyone, is there anything else in the entire world or anyone else who you would want to be Lord, other than this one, Jesus. 
Who else would you want to be the most strongest and the most mightiest force in the universe other than the God who had come to be born in a manger? Jesus is Lord, so we have reason to hope. We can have an attitude of hope no matter what because he is. The worst evil that could happen, the most hopeless situation we could imagine that God in the flesh would come and that he would die on a cross and be rejected by humanity, a defeat, a tragic loss. In a great reversal, this has become the most hopeful event in human history. The best thing that could ever happen, a victory, an unconquerable gain. So friends, when things don't seem so good for the future for us, where our hope meter is low, we're wondering if there is a reason to hope that something good can come from something bad, from something that looks hopeless, that something can come with new life. When we feel weak and helpless and forgotten, when darkness and grief seem to have the last word, we can have hope because Jesus is Lord. Nothing and no one is stronger than him. Nothing and no one is higher than him. Every knee will, every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Nothing is stronger than him and nothing and no one can be more loving than him, more of a servant than him, more humble than him, more willing to go to the lowest place, the darkest place, the most hopeless place for us so that we would know there is always hope. And friends, that's the story of the baby in the manger. Those two things come together. The baby Jesus is Lord, and this one who would come so humbly, Jesus, is Lord, and so we can always hope. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this message. We thank you that because it is indeed true and real, we can always have hope. And so I pray for all of us this morning. If our hope meters are low and ebbing, if we are struggling to look ahead with the attitude that what will be will be better than what is, I pray you'd meet us this morning. I pray you'd meet us on Christmas afresh with this incredible, hopeful message that there is a Lord, nothing outside of his will and purposes and plans can happen to us. And even when we don't understand, Lord, what is happening, why it's happening, we know, when this, we know how this story will end and we, knew, we know who it is that holds our stories. And so I pray this morning you would fill us again with fresh, deep, and abiding hope. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.